turned on. Testing, testing. Okay, don't see me. Really? Oh, so this will be the best episode ever. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can adjust my level accordingly. Uh, well, there you go. So you can see you now? Oh yeah, I'm on there. Oh, okay. I'm just going to have to speak articulately. Articulately. Welcome to the Financial Independence Garage, where we share the tools to improve your finances and unfold the roadmap to financial independence. Good Hello. day. We're back in person. Good evening. We're breaking just about every rule in Canada right now. Uh, There's no, there? no yeah. rules on the island. Yeah. No strict rules. No. Yeah, we're okay. We've, we've done our own. You're in my bubble. And, yeah, bubble. Bubble. Speaking of bubbles, we've got some in a can tonight and special bubbles in this can, gentlemen. This is a tropical fruit explosion it says <laughs> this looks very tasty well, are, you, are you reading it i've got the website up to read yeah that was that's not much of a blurb that's just telling you what it is well let me tell you why we have this beer first because that's the important part of it uh, a good friend of the show norbert Kalai, who lives in quebec packaged up these wonderful northeast ipas from boreal brewing and sent them out for us to enjoy in the show so huge shout out Thanks, Norbert. You and cannot see through that beer. That is no, nice you cannot. That is looks fantastic. Yeah, he sent me a little message in the Ooh. box saying, and he's got this cool little. Uh, so he's known as um, Nomadic Norbert on his Instagram and YouTube channels. We talked about him in a, an episode a couple. Yeah, ago. and we interviewed him on the other podcast, which I'm not allowed to name when the <laughs> hey, economist is present. <laughs> you can say whatever you want. <laughs> So Norbert, oh, that's tasty. Norbert was interviewed there, and he does do Finance Fridays on Instagram. So if you're listening, I thought it was YouTube. He, yeah, well, he hasn't released a YouTube one for a while. I checked it out. Okay. He's got a few episodes on there, and they're they're quite good. But I know that there are a ton of time to do them, so you can find him on Instagram and Facebook. So shout out, thanks again, Norbert. Cheers, cheers, thanks. Cheers. For enjoying this. So beer. Norbert, this was Norbert's idea. This was his the, idea. The beer tube. No, no, the beer tube's my idea. Okay. Oh, but. <laughs> This is the funny thing is, is the beer tube is currently away. So I had to send the beer box the other day. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you have multiple well, beers going across. Uh, yeah. The so how many things are on the go right now? <laughs> well, there's uh, a set of beers on the way to Ottawa because a lucky listener jumped in after our last episode and said, Hey, I'll swap beers with you. So that's awesome. They're on its way. And we've recently had somebody else uh, offer to do that as well. So, I am I, like I don't know how we're gonna factor this into our five journey spending twenty bucks shipping beers around. Uh, you gotta cut it off. You got this has to be like a twenty twenty project, and that's it. Well, yeah, that's uh, you know latte is too expensive, right? You can't have things you enjoy. But to to be to be honest though, I did a little bit of math on it. To buy three tall cans of beer, yeah, costs you about uh, fourteen to fifteen bucks. Now they're mm -hmm. actually quite expensive, right? And to ship them, so you're looking at about thirty. You know, thirty-five dollars. What's it cost you for three pints of beer in the bar these days? With know. tip and tax, you're probably thirty bucks. You're probably pretty close. Yeah. yeah. So I just look at it as I'm sharing beers in, in a virtual bar with my friends across. Fair the enough. So yeah. Fair enough. There you go. Cheers, cheers. Boys. Fair. Cheers. Cheers. Are we allowed to cheers? Uh, oh yeah. What are the rules around that? It is a tasty, tasty beer. Though. Oh. Okay. Well, we better talk quickly about the beer before we uh, yeah you, ramble on. You too haven't long. said the blurb. Uh, well, I pulled up the website, and this uh, brewery has been around since 1987. It was founded by, and and this is an apology to our <laughs> Quebec friends, as usual, because our <laughs> pronunciation is pathetic. It's not good. It's bad. No. It was founded by Les Brasseurs du Nord, Boreal. <laughs> uh, it's got a, like its emblematic polar bear, 
is a force of nature. Its beers are a testament to Quebec craftsmanship. And it says, for <laughs> I like this part, for more than 30 years, day after day, beer after beer, Boreal has been helping people unleash their wilder side. So this might be a wild episode, boys. Yeah, oh, there we go. Yeah. This particular beer, the IPA, which we all love so much, I lost from the page I had. Oh, up, dear. Pretty, now we get all the clicking. Oh, yeah. I got, I got the click mouse back Oh, again. man. The blurb is, if you like IPA, you'll love me. With this episode, our brewmaster takes his inspiration from our New England neighbors. The result, a pale IPA for true hop lovers with fruity aromers. Aromers? Aromers? <laughs> and moderate bitterness. That's that pre-episode beer. Yeah, I was going to just say, you guys had a beer before I got here, didn't you? It's not untrue. <laughs> IPA-NE takes you on a journey. It begins with exotic aromas that awaken the palate and is followed by a delicious bitterness characteristic of New England IPAs. It's a beautifully balanced ale everyone will love. So there you go. Nice. Yeah. It does, it does smell lovely, and I see they've got hop and mo- or citra, and mosaic is a hops, and citra is always a Yeah, a nice citra one. hops, yeah. always good. Anyway, what the hell are we doing I, here tonight? I think we should address the elephant in the room. Okay. You put your Christmas lights up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. It's not even American Thanksgiving. And I d- certainly not December 1st. I don't care. How are you going to do? The rules don't matter in 2020, okay? All bets are off. All it's I want to know is how you're going to do... What is it? 20, 30, 30-odd days of Christmas. You'll be dead by the end of it. Yes. <laughs> That's not dry Christmas? No. <laughs> I had my first rum and eggnog, and I put up the lights. And I, I, I refuse to touch eggnog till December 1st. Then I do 31 days eggnog, and that's it for the year. To be fair, I am unavailable the next two weekends with work commitments. So then it would have been like deep into December, you could so put, I put them up you last You could put weekend. the lights up, but not turn them on. Well, sure. But I didn't do that. (laughs) More importantly, I'd like to give a couple shout-outs to uh, friends of the show. Maria from Handful of Thoughts. Uh, She's got a great blog over there for you to check out. And she has just, or she will, well, it'll be released, I guess. I always forget that this episode doesn't come out the next day. Um, (laughs) She's got herself together for, if you don't know her story, they paid off their mortgage in record time and they have a whole bunch of rentals uh, in Alberta and she's done a course now that basically says are you ready to be mortgage free pretty exciting I know she's done a lot of work into that so I just wanted to give it a little shout out and if that's something that interests our listeners you can find it at handfulofthoughts.com slash mortgage free living and we'll obviously put that in the show notes so there you go Maria promise I'd say something there you go <laughs> so we're just giving free advertising we now? always give free advertising uh. You know, I don't know. <laughs> maybe she'll send us beers. <laughs> I sure hope so. <laughs> okay, the other one that just to throw out there for some interesting reading. And, you know, I don't know how I came across this, to be perfectly honest with you. And it is the plainest website I've ever seen. But it is packed with interesting, well thought out, mathematically validated information. And I haven't even gotten through half of it yet because i got stuck reading the nitty-gritty of the rrsp okay and you know the three of us are average or above average with general finance i would say right we try and learn and you're both kind of give give me like a nod shake i love it (laughs) (laughs) but I, i learned a lot of stuff reading this to be perfectly fair so shout out to it's retailinvestor.org like super simple and 
the, so for example, the nitty gritty RSP thing here says why you should read this page. And he starts off or he, she, sorry, I shouldn't assume below is a detailed argument supported by math, proving that what you probably understand about quote, how the RRSP system works is wrong. So Fair. there you go. There's a teaser. Yeah. Uh, I've sent this out to a couple of people and they found it pretty interesting too. So might be worth digging into for when you're a good, bored. A good RSP drawdown strategy. There's nothing yeah. worse than once that thing locks into a riff and you have mandatory withdrawals, you're in a lot less control of your income. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes on just in the beginning here again. He says, it proves that the benefits of the RRSP don't come from the factors commonly claimed. It proves that RRSPs have four independent factors that must be evaluated and calculated separately. The accounts benefit is the net of these factors. Sounds about right. So there you go. Yeah. Interesting reading for uh, for people that are interested. So those are my shout outs. I don't know if you guys have anything you want no. to add today. No, no, we don't give the free advertising. I know, <laughs> but I do because I make friends wherever I go. <laughs> and, and we definitely don't. No. So that actually checks out, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, the best part, I just had to get my content in because this is the accountant's episode. You're emceeing the mic on this one. I'm emceeing? Well, you you had the suggestion come from your household, from your lovely wife. I don't think that's who it came from. Am I going to have to no, edit it, this out? That's who you said it. You oh, no, it. it was her idea. Absolutely, yeah. it was her idea. <laughs> yeah. This doesn't reflect in any way, shape, or form the quality of the episode because it came from her. Uh, it's better because it came from her. <laughs> uh, no, she wanted us to address uh, how we assess investment decisions because she said she had seen a lot of people asking about that. Right. Okay. Gamble. Woo! Yeah, I'll gamble. <laughs> so go for the highest yield imaginable. And put all your money in that. Absolutely. So end of episode, right? <laughs> this show is for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> this is our opinion. <laughs> we are not professionals. <laughs> and we have never claimed to be. No, but I think it's uh, it's a valid point because a lot of people, I mean, sure, if you're an index investor and it's set it and forget it. Not much evaluating. There's not a much evaluating to do. But if you start getting into other things, real estate investing and different things like that, what kind of factors are you bringing into your investment decisions? Or even dividend investing. Even dividend investing, sure. Uh, I'm going to jump in and disagree a little bit with the, if you're just, just quote, a passive index investor, because there's a ton of ETFs to choose from that hold very, very similar assets. And you do have to do a little bit of analysis there to make sure you've chosen the one that you want and understand what, what you've chosen. Yeah, that's kind of com like comparing the ingredients list on two different to, yeah you know, but isn't that is it analysis analyzing? i don't know isn't that analyzing an investment i guess so i yeah i suppose but i was more thinking about things when you're trying to compare an index etf to a private mortgage loan to a rental property okay well start us off what should we talk about first what metrics where are we going to start <laughs> you know the funny thing about this is he said it was my episode yeah. and I was going to get to run it. And then he starts asking me questions that I was about to ask him. Fine. That's fine. I'll drive the ship. Welcome to um, the uh, Money Mechanics interview of the <laughs> accountant. Well, I I just think we should cover some basic things like, you know, your rate of return, uh, internal rate of return, payback time, stuff like that when you're looking at an investment, right? Like All a lot of these of are expected. All of these are expected. Expected right in front well, of Well, that's a huge, well, because right now we're talking quantitative, but then there's also going to be a bunch of qualitative analysis that you also have to do. Right. But 
you know, a lot of people will look at something and say, oh, well, it pays or the S&P 500, whatever. It's been yielding an average 8.7% per, per year for the last, what is it, 80 years? <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to feel like I didn't do my spreadsheet homework for this episode. <laughs> oh, well, I'm not going to get that far into the weeds, but, you know, you look at stuff like that and a lot of people I've seen will be comparing, oh, well, that you know, this investment makes 8% and this one makes 12, but the 12% investment period is a two-year time frame, and the 8% is a one-year. So, your right. 12 isn't actually, you know, people aren't often comparing apples to apples. They're just looking at the straight dollar value. That is an interesting point because we've discussed this before when it comes to some of the different deals that I've looked at. Where I, I I give you some number and you're like, no, no, what's your return? I'm like, well, I'm giving you my return after tax and after my cost of borrowing. And, and you're like, no, no, I can't compare it like that. You have to compare investments apples to apples, like you yes. said. Right? Yeah. And that's when a lot of people are just looking. They say, oh, well, my return on investment will be this. But there's a lot of different factors that go into your return on investment. Like if I'm making 12% on a private loan, but I'm at a 50% tax bracket and that loan isn't eligible to be tax sheltered, and the alternative investment for me is making 6% in my TFSA, those are the same return. Right. And one's probably less risky. And one's probably less risky. And that's where I feel like a lot of people don't look at what they don't, you know, normalize it to say, hey, I need to compare apples to apples. I need to make some adjustments here because- one is not equal to the other until we adjust for taxes and time period and all that kind of stuff. So how do we learn to do that? Online calculators. <laughs> <laughs> play, play with online calculators? I mean, that's a great start. Yeah, I think maybe the start is vocabulary. Yeah, I mean, that's a great place to go, right? So you've thrown out a bunch of words already that for a lot of our listeners are going to, they're going to know it and... You know, they're just going to listen to us make fun of each other and not really get the details. Sure. But <laughs> let's let's pick a few terms and just work through those and how they would apply uh, for different investments. So talk about return on investment, ROI. Everyone says, what's your ROI on that? Right? Yeah. So that's just your percentage yield or your percentage return. Or percentage return. And now it should be generally on an annualized basis. Right. But especially when somebody's advertising an investment, they might give you the total return on investment. Mm -hmm. three, That's three-year term, you're getting 30%, 33% return. You look right. and go, oh, I'm and you go, oh return. my return on investment is 33%. That sounds really good. Yeah. But what if the term's 30 years? That's a pretty terrible return on right. investment over a 30-year time period. Okay, so this is good. This is a good start to it, right? Return on investment. You need to look at that percentage. And make sure it's annualized. And if it's not annualized, then you need to annualize it if you've got a fixed period portion of the deal. Like, you know, I've got, you know, it, it doesn't really apply, but, you know, for example, the five-year bond that I picked up through no advertising feature here, but Green Bonds Canada. <laughs> Um, you know, it's, they've given you a, an annualized interest rate. Right. And that's so what, I know what most return will is. give yeah. you is an annualized yeah. rate, but a lot of people will hide behind 
a time frame. A time frame and, oh, you're going to make this return in a time frame because they don't actually want you to do the math and realize that it's actually a pretty crummy annualized rate right. of return. And when you do the math, you got to remember that elsewhere your money would compound. Yes. Right? Whereas if you have a 30% return over 10 years, it's not 10% per year compound. It's less than that. Yeah. That's a really good point too. I think you need to sit there with a compound calculator as and well. well. We'll throw a compound interest calculator in the show notes for people to go if they want to go play around with it. But yeah. yeah, that's, and I mean, that gets into a bunch of the other factors that you look at, like your payback period. Well, if I'm getting 10% in one year, then I can go deploy that capital again. Whereas if I'm getting 10% in two years or even 20% in two years, it's still not the same because it's taking two years yeah. Before I can deploy the extra capital that I've earned again. And you've lost liquidity. And you've lost liquidity. Now, without going deep into like a dark alley here, that's because this is exactly the conversation that I was fearing we might get into. It's like <laughs> trying to figure out what net present value is. Because when you start talking about multi-year investments, you've got to run those calculations. You do. To draw down, to figure out what your net present value is. So I let's not go too deep into that because I think it gets too math heavy to do a podcast for. If we were doing a YouTube, you can run some numbers. You could run sense, some, yeah. For us just babbling, it's, it's not going to make a whole lot of sense. But it is an interesting calculation that you should do if you're looking at cash flow or returns from a, an investment over a period of time. Yeah. And like that was when, you know, when I was taking finance courses in university, there was whole sections on mm -hmm. net present value. But essentially, the net present value of any investment is the future cash flows of that investment factored by your return back to make it, give it a present value today. So all that really matters is your annualized ROI. Essentially. Yeah. I yeah. mean, at the end of the day, if you're breaking down investments, no matter how you break it down, what is going to be the net present value of a future stream of income. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how stocks are priced. Right. Like hypothetically, and it obviously the market's not perfect. Theoretically. Theoretically. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, well, we're assuming the efficient market here. Yes. Yeah. But theoretically, the price of a stock is your share in all of its future profits. Yes. Right now. In, in its today's current dollars. Moment, in its current yeah. moment. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, that's where net present value calculations can get really complex because you have to factor in What's the rate of return you're assuming? What's inflation, taxes, all that kind of stuff. So we won't get into that. And risk. And risk. <laughs> Thank you. That's a good one. It's good to add that yeah. in there. Right? Well, because it, well, just that, because two things have the same rate of return doesn't mean that they have equal risk. Right. 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 Yeah. Coming back to the higher level view of our discussion here is how do you make that analysis on two investments that have the same rate of return? Right. Well, what's going to pay you back sooner? Okay. Well, but that's not necessarily that's not a necessarily, good thing. Yeah. Well, if you were getting 45% interest. He just said two things that have the same rate of right. return. If you're getting 45% interest, you want the five-year term rather than the six-month term. Do you? Yeah. Assuming you can continually get the same return, don't you want your money well, back? Well, but you can't assume that because but, interest but a, rates change. Sure, but a longer term means more risk. More can go long, wrong over that time frame. Yeah. yeah. So you need to be compensated for that risk with a higher return. Right. Yeah. Well, that's why like the bond I have is 5%. Right. Because bonds generally aren't worth very much right now. Yeah. 
So they need to pay that extra premium for the risk of me tying up my money there for the six years. That's a long time to have money tied up. Sure. Yeah. Well, I right? mean, so there's opportunity costs there as well. And I could, I should have probably done the net present value calculation on that and, and said, you know, because money's so cheap to borrow and if I'd put it in the markets, but again, that comes back to risk, right? Yeah. That's, that's always an important one to consider, especially, I mean, bonds these days, bonds used to be considered risk-free, risk-free. return yeah, now and it's really return it's just risk. return-free risk. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ed Rempel. Good quote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So return on investment, that's a good one. That's one that we need to look at and analyze. And that gets a little more complicated when we get into rental properties. Right. Because then you got to start talking about cash on cash return as opposed to total return. Depending what you're looking at. Well, you're the real estate expert. What's the factor? I'm a real estate expert. Okay, let me rephrase that. (laughs) (laughs) Expert's probably the wrong word to use on the show at all times. Yeah. (laughs) Unless we were referring to somebody outside the show. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) You have uh, dipped your legs in real estate because you're up to your waist in it at least. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What was your first metric to evaluate an investment? Is it cash on cash return or is it total return? Total return. Total return. Yeah. Okay. So just describe what total return is as opposed to cash on cash return. Well, your total return on an investment property is going to be your cash flow every month as well as your mortgage pay down. Plus appreciation, which is unknown. Appreciation is unknown. So I never even factor it in. You don't make an assumption. I don't make an assumption. And that's on the purchase price, not on your down payment. Well, see, that's... If it's on your purchase price, you're talking cap rate, right? Which is how people generally assess a property is what's, if I didn't use leverage, what would be my rate of return? Right. But really your rate of return is what did you actually have to shell out Mm -hmm. to create the mortgage pay down and the cash flow? Right. And that's, I think that's an important one to bring up is you see a lot of these more risky real estate investments where they promise you some very significant annualized rate of return. And then you go digging into it and your cash on cash return is 0.5%. Your mortgage pay down is like 1%. And then they're assuming like 12% growth. Right. Yeah. Which I mean, sure, we've been really lucky in the major cities in Canada to have seen phenomenal growth in real estate, but I think that's a pretty dangerous assumption to make. (laughs) Well, it's certainly a uh, an optimistic assumption. Yeah. <laughs> optimistic, that's one way to put it. Yeah. I think you're right though, is a lot of those calculations they're throwing that appreciation number that's complete unknown into sweeten the deal at the end of the day. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think mm-hmm. that's it it all kind of circles back to people often just see somebody throws out a number, this is your return on investment. Yeah. And I think it's important to actually look at Question what, what makes that up means. that return on investment and if it makes sense. And how likely it is. And how likely it is. Mm-hmm. What about... I don't know where you're going, but I just want to not leave the last point there. Yeah, I'm going along with the same point. I see where you go with this. Go ahead. Um, so you said cap rate, you're not necessarily interested in cap rate. So if you were uh, comparing... It's a, not that I'm not interested in it. Yeah, but it's one thing to consider. Right. So if you're considering a real estate investment against a market investment, 
how do you account for the fact that you're leveraging more in real estate? Well, that's that's going to be your actual return on investment. What you're putting down right. is generally much higher in real estate because you've used leverage. Right. A lot of times, in especially in like major inflated cities like Vancouver and Toronto right now, you look at some of these properties and their cap rate. Like if you just straight bought the property and rented it out, and you take your rental income less your operating expenses and divide that by your purchase price to get your cap, cap rate, rate. Yeah, it's pretty terrible yeah absolutely. like a oh, lot like of it is like even a quarter percent you're yeah. looking at it and you're like i'd never take that investment so much for the one percent rule but <laughs> but that's where people like no no percent rule no percent rule yeah. i mean that's where people get also so leverage if i'm taking on that leverage i'm taking on more risk right yeah exactly. and especially you're making a real estate investment that's a very non-diversified investment that's one property one and thing's go not wrong. liquid like we talk about when do you get your money back how do you get well and that is something I think people need to just to go down a whole nother rabbit hole of how to assess an investment is how easy is it to get your money back? And what are your plan? Like, what are your exit strategies? Mm -hmm. What are the different scenarios that you have to be able to get your money back? Like if this event happens, how do I get my money back? If that event happens, how do I get my money back? Like, where are the scenarios where I can get screwed? <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like you need to make a spreadsheet for the financials and you need to make yourself some bullet points for scenarios. Yeah. Right. To be, to, you know, to have sort of make a good analysis of an investment is you want to go, okay, here's the numbers I have to work with. And here's the, if this happens, you know, a little bit of a block diagram, right? Like a, like, like a flow chart type diagrams. Like if we get over to here, I'm going to have to deal with this and that's going to either tie my capital up for a lot longer than I anticipate or, it's going to force me to sell in a down market or, you know, I'm not going to get the returns that year. Like you got to plan all these things out uh, in, in your forward looking statement and run it like you're, you know, if you're buying, I mean, in any kind of investment, I kind of look at it as I'm, that investment is a little bit of a business to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. When I do a private mortgage lend, it's like I'm now capitalizing, I'm putting capital into a business transaction. Right. Yeah. And how do I, I have to anal do the analysis of what my return is commensurate with the risks that are involved. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. really what we're trying to get at today is right. how do we figure that out or what strategies do we use? Right. Do you spreadsheet everything for rentals? Yeah. I mean, I, I throw all the numbers into spreadsheets, but then there's all the intangibles too. Like uh, if I'm not using a property manager, like uh, the S&P 500 isn't ever calling me in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if they do, like something's <laughs> probably <laughs> gone horribly wrong. Not with good news. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can we speak to the accountant, please? <laughs> Your Tesla stocks have gone to zero. Oh, that's the NASDAQ. They don't call. Yeah, I know. They don't call. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Like, you, the intangibles are your time, really. Yeah. You know, your time and... and Maybe not CapEx, but unexpected expenditures. Unexpected expenditures, headaches, other things that, I mean, there's the opportunity costs too, right? Mm -hmm. What else? I think that's- Well, but I mean, every investment has an opportunity cost that's equal, I would say. I would agree, but I feel like a lot of people don't take that into, you know, they just look at the investment they're looking at and they don't really also assess it against, well, what else could I do with that money? Oh, okay. 
So you know, like that. I'm that thinking should... you're comparing investments, but what you're but, saying is people just analyze the investment they're faced with, and yeah, yeah, and then make that decision. Whereas you should probably, right? You should be comparing. Well, what other options do I have with this money? Right. That you'd have to talk to the mechanic because he has all the all the options. Uh, all the options. He owns. <laughs> he owns one of everything. <laughs> I was just going to give you a scenario. I was just going to give you a scenario. <laughs> I, I told you we we're going to say so when we start things, but yeah. so. <laughs> I've got 50 grand. Yeah. That I'm going to leverage. You're going to leverage it. Well, this makes it more interesting because okay. that makes it harder to analyze your investment. Sure. I can put it in a tontine. <laughs> you guys must have a bet that every freaking show. Okay. I could put it in the market. In a non-registered account. Yeah. And XAW. Let's just call it XAW. Sure. Sure. Okay. VQT. It doesn't matter. What, what it doesn't matter what it's in. What level? What do you mean? I'm putting in the whole thing. Honey. You said you were going to leverage it. Yeah. Oh, the cost of leveraging? No, you said you were going to leverage uh, the 50000 what, what he meant is he's borrowing the 50000 to invest. Oh, so you're it's not already leveraging leverage. anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not leveraging more. <laughs> on top yes, of no. the this borrowing on borrowing. Okay. So 50K to the market. Yeah. 50k to a private lending situation. Let's just call it a situation. It doesn't have to be a mortgage. It could be a loan. A loan to a business. It could be a loan yeah, to sure. the economist for a haircut. <laughs> 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 or I'm putting 50k into a down payment for a rental property. So that one's leveraged. Well, that one that okay. Yeah, <laughs> now that I see yeah, that's so why don't you le leverage. leverage the 50k you put in the market? That's double the risk. Well, the down payment is probably eight times the risk. You're not wrong. Like mathematically, you're not wrong. Right? Yeah. But how do I look at those three, three opportunities aside from, yes, I know you can, you, I know you want to get into the leverage side of it, but aside from that, how do I look at those three opportunities and analyze the investment opportunity and risk? I mean, you're obviously going to have to take what your expected return on your investment is. Okay, let's call them all... Well, they're not going to be all equal. No. They're not let's call be, them all equal. Well, then... Let's call them all 10%. Well, then you're just going with the market <laughs> well, index fund because it's the lowest risk. That's okay. a terrible point. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> okay well, so... We know they're not going to be the same rate. Yeah. We know that we know that the market one's going to be, let's call it an average of six. We don't need to use numbers for this. Okay. It can fair. be hypothetical. Okay, all fair. right. Okay. Well, just work You're, with me here. Work with me. I was trying to until you <laughs> cut me off. This <laughs> is going to be a short show. <laughs> so you're going to want to take what your return on investment is for each of your opportunities. And then you're going to want to factor in what are your tax savings because you've borrowed that money. Yep. And then what are the tax consequences of the investment you're putting it into? And that's kind of where I was trying to get at too, is like the the tax I'm going to save because it's borrowed money is going to be equal across the board. Right. Right. Because mm -hmm. that's going to be based on my income. So that's equal. We can wash that. But the tax consequences of each investment are going to be different. Yes. And that is mm -hmm. something I think you do need to analyze as part of your big picture of making an investment analysis. And that's kind of what I wanted to get out of that little scenario. I don't, we don't need to go into the deep into the scenarios, but if it's a private loan, that's going to be show up as 50% or as at my marginal rate. At my, It'll be at your marginal rate. rate. Yeah. In the market, it may be deferred and just be capital gains with a little bit of dividends. Right. And the rental property, it may be cash flow, 
written off at the beginning because of mortgage payments. Yeah. And it could be capital gains down the road. Yeah. Or capital losses. Or capital losses. Or capital losses. Then you got to decide. They all could be capital losses. Then you're going to have to decide if you want to take CCA or not. Capital cost allowance. Right. You know, are you going to amortize that property and then have face the recapture in the future and bigger tax bills for lower now? <laughs> he doesn't know the answer to that I, question. No, I, I, I don't know the answer. I, no, that's right. And that's why we're having this discussion because not only do I not know the answer, but I think a lot of people don't know the answers. Yeah. And I think a lot of us, and I'm, I'll count myself included in that, is that it's easy to look specifically at a percentage return on investment and be attracted to that and go, hey, that looks like a good investment over there for a portion of, you know, we're not talking your whole portfolio here. You're talking about a small portion of your portfolio that you want to diversify maybe away from the markets and you want to get into property or private lending or, or whatever it is that you're diversifying. Yeah, you want to diversify your income streams. You got to try and, like you said at the beginning, get to apples to apples. Yeah. And how do you do that? And if this sounds super complicated, if you're listening to this and it sounds super complicated, email the accountant. <laughs> no. Or get some tax advice. Yeah, get some tax advice. And well, it's not just tax advice. I mean, use some calculators. Like you said, there's well, lots of Well, it depends on the investment. You're... Totally depends on the investment. Right. That's a good point. But yeah, you got to look at, you know, use some of those ROI calculators out there, some other things to figure out, is this, you know, what it appears on the surface might not actually be what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, totally. I think, you know, it's it's pretty easy to prove that point, but it's a lot harder to see that as an investor. I've been glossy-eyed and looked at things and gone, oh, that return's awesome. Yeah. And you need to stop and really kind of step back. And if, you, if you're not sure, if you don't know, I mean, you guys are great resources for me to just banter with. I mean, and if I think the FI community, that's one of the huge benefits of this community is there's great people online that you can Facebook with. Yeah. Twitter what do you think of this? And throw, honestly, any one of us, throw us a message. And if we don't know, we'll try and help you find somebody that does know because a lot of it, it's pretty overwhelming. Yeah. There's- Trying to make investment analysis is not easy. And we should circle back to stocks a little bit because we can talk about that a little bit more with our experience because we've chosen individual stocks. And just do a brief overview of what you would look at for making an analysis on that, right? Well, what did what do you think that your lovely wife wanted us to talk about? I've I've got one other (laughs) item to factor in before we think about this. Okay, give me, give it to me. The other one is what is delicious. What is the potential for return? Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. Like if I invest in a 3% GIC, I'm getting 3%. Right. Mm. Almost guaranteed. Almost guaranteed. Yeah. Are you factoring in inflation? No, we'll just call it. Yeah. <laughs> See? That's the but thing. Nobody no, but nobody does that with any uh, that's investment. True. That's true. Right? Yeah. No. Yeah. Because anything's subject to inflation generally. Well, that's the thing, but people bring it up. Yeah. Right. But- You've I mean, got to assume it's it's the same for every investment you, you make. In the inflation in the country is going to be the same. See, okay, sorry to go ahead. We totally interrupted you. <laughs> no, that, I was just saying. There's there's also that I can assume that I'm going to get four percent kind of bad scenario out of you know four percent rule. Okay, index funds I can count on four percent, but there's the potential there that you can do. A lot better than that. Mm-hmm. Whereas a four percent GIC, 
it doesn't hold the downside, but it also doesn't hold the upside. Mm-hmm. So you you got to consider the minimum and maximum return. Yeah, the like it's not just what my expected ROI is. What is your and I mean that's all part of risk, right? Right. But yeah, what's your minimum? What's like if the sky's the limit? That's a different investment than it's got a max cap of a four percent return. Right. And the sky's the limit. I think you're speculating. <laughs> well, no, it, no, the sky's the it, limit for the S and P five hundred. Well, fair. I, no, I. Even more, uh, sky's the limit for an individual stock. Yes. Because the S&P is going to be pulled down by average uh, totally. performance. But if you're investing in an individual stock, that, that's where you really do have sky's the limit. Inflation. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I just, because we brought it up and we yeah. don't usually talk about it, but it really only matters to the money in your pocket, not the money that you have invested. Right. It's, yeah, it's, mean, it's, it's, your, it's, your, it's the power of the money you have to spend. Right, it's your, it's your purchasing yeah. power. Sure, so you, it, you should ignore it for your investments because people are like, oh well, my at my s my you know diversified index fund is going to make eight percent minus two percent inflation. It's I, like, I don't eh. know if you shouldn't ignore it. It's not often factored in in common circles, but it also can't be ignored. Yeah, and no, I, I, I'll go back to the I own shares of Telus. You get mass inflation and TELUS is increasing their prices and their profits are also probably going to increase in line and the inflation is not going to have as big of a factor. But you get inflation at 4% and you're locked into a GIC at 3%, you're actually at negative 1% a year. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it it can't be ignored. And Mm -hmm. I think we've become so accustomed to not worrying about it because we haven't seen in like since... other than the 80s when we saw mass inflation, like at least in my lifetime. What's this, Cowboy? Yeah. You weren't born in the 80s. <laughs> uh, actually, I was born in 1989. So. <laughs> Just squeaked it in there. The other thing is nobody's being enticed to buy long-term bonds or long-term GICs because the return's so low. So they don't have that inflation. We don't, we're not faced with that inflation risk that right. people used to be faced with. I still want to talk about what I wanted to talk about. Which is? How to make an investment analysis of an ETF. Okay, go ahead. I mean, I know what you said, and you're right. You're just comparing columns. Yeah. Or rows, I guess. I mean, at the end of the day, like, if you're taking two Canadian dividend ETFs, you're going to have your MER. So whatever your management expense ratio is, yeah. you want a low management expense ratio. And I personally don't like having a lot of these dividend funds end up only holding like 20 stocks. Right. They're not that diversified. So higher upside, lower downside. Lower downside. Yeah. More risk. Precisely. Or more volatility at least. Well, and this is the point that I wanted to make is that it's been shared and talked about that there are going off the top of my head here, there's probably four or five Canadian dividend yield ETFs. Yeah. And there's probably another four or five Canadian index ETFs. Yeah. I mean, there may be more. I'm just saying there's a popular five Mm -hmm. of each, right? And if you start digging into them, they basically hold a similar mix of companies. Yeah. But you've got to make an investment, investment analysis, you look at the ones that are index funds Ignoring the MERs, let's call the MERs the same within, you know, 10 10 basis points or maybe 20, right? Right. It's not worth getting worried about. 20 might be. 20 might be, but. 
It's not nothing. Well, okay, so and that's <laughs> twenty, and that's a fair point too, right? Is you're paying more for the dividend ones, right? Right, and let's just call the ballpark yield on the dividends between four and six percent, because mm-hmm. some of them are pretty high right now, right? And then the yield on the index ones are usually like between two and three type thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that twenty, you're right. That twenty isn't nothing, and I've had this discussion a few times. And you look at the year to date performance and. I don't want to get wrapped up in year to date because we all know it's an exceptional year year and we're looking at long-term growth. But the point is, is that if you look at the total return for the year, the ones that are indexes have lost less. Right. That makes sense. It makes sense, right? Even though they're not returning you the same amount of dividends versus the dividend stocks. And, And I'm not trying to compare dividend ETFs to index ETFs. I'm just saying that of the five of each, you should compare the five within that scope of what you're looking, what you think is appropriate that you want to have in your portfolio. Well, have a look at those five because we had this discussion, the yeah. accountant and I, because I think I'm on my third dividend ETF now. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, I've got VDY and I'm happy with that. And then I start reading more about who its top holdings are. And I felt like it was too um, heavy in financials right. for my well, liking. But that's that's a whole nother equation of looking at ETFs is if you're looking at the Canadian market, it's mostly financials and energy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's not really a lot else that makes up the Canadian economy. Apart from telecom. Really? And that's or a, utilities. And that's a, utilities and utilities telecom yeah. are a pretty small sliver mm-hmm. though when we really compare it to the yeah. others. I'm just saying that when you're making, you shouldn't just pick an ETF because everybody that you talk to likes XIC or VCN or like have a look at what it holds and maybe understand a little bit, do a little bit of your analysis on go, okay, this is the MER. This is the yield. I'm going to, I'm going to argue with you on that. You think so? When you first start investing, oh, yeah. just, so just buy something. Yeah. Okay. We are talking about once you're actually yeah. have yeah. learned enough to look at what's going on. I- you're absolutely right. Or you're bored enough to look. Or you're bored. <laughs> yeah, either way. <laughs> Did I tell you I didn't have internet at work for three days? Wow. Talk about being bored. No wonder we uh, didn't get any emails. That's why we had to release the overtime episode. Yeah. Yeah. No. It was it was weird. It felt weird to not have internet. But yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm splitting hairs a little bit. And I totally agree. Just like. Get well simple, get quest trade, buy Vigo, be buy VQT, get invested, start off your journey. Don't worry about that. And along those lines too, I think is even though I had VDY and I've decided to hold something different now, that's ZDV, right? The BMO one? Yeah. BMO, yeah. Um, I didn't sell my VDY. I just left it. Mm-hmm. And now I'm investing in something else. Yeah. So, you know, it, <laughs> That's how you end up with like all these, different yeah, <laughs> and it's terrible. But passive is a great way to manage your ETFs. So there's more free advertising for the show. There you right. go. There you go, Brand. The two Brandons out in passive. <sighs> um, you don't have to. And the other thing to remember too is that if you do want to swap ETFs that are similarly sectored or similarly represented, if you sell one and buy the other, it's not really you're not really losing anything. You're just changing the one that you're invested in. Yeah. I think a lot of people feel like. When they've made a decision, they just stick with it forever. Yeah. And you don't, as long as you understand you're making a lateral move to another. Yeah. yeah. I just think that's the, an important the, part of eight, analyzing an investment. Yeah. The 18 bucks you're going to spend on the fees aren't really much in the scheme. Of in the big scheme of things, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that's one other factor that we should bring up too is 
everybody's gotten the message buy and hold for the long time. Don't get scared. Don't get spooked out of something. But like, if you own Enron and the scandal comes out, it is time to bail out. Like, if you know that somebody's been like <laughs> right. some one of those type of events where it's like this company's going bankrupt and you can salvage anything out of it. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to find that with an index ETF, so we're not going to worry about that. Yeah. But that's an individual stock. And it's another show. <laughs> yeah, that's an entire show. show. We I could we could do a whole show and use my examples of stocks I should have sold. <laughs> <laughs> or or the justification for using stop losses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, it all washes out cost of education. Oh, big news, big news. Okay. My TFSA has almost almost recovered to its all-time high. Nice. Oh, that's funny because mine today did very, very, like 50 bucks below. I had like one day, one day where I jumped for joy when my TFSA hit six figures. It was one day and it's never hit there again. <laughs> <laughs> was that so, in March or? It must have been earlier in the year. I can't yeah. remember it was. Yeah. But yeah. it was like one day and I'm like, oh my, this is fantastic. And I'm like, and, not yeah. and, <laughs> and then it was tech. down like 20 percent, yeah. and i'm like oh that's not <laughs> well <so> that's happened <laughs> yeah, yeah but it's gonna be a good 2021 uh, maybe yeah <laughs> nobody knows who bought a bunch of pfizer stocks yeah, yeah i owned <laughs> pfizer years ago but i sold them for profit and i don't look back yeah okay yeah any last parting words about investment analysis we didn't really go into the private lending that i've got myself involved in because that's a whole nother level of analysis and i found it's been an education in itself because you're trying to make a decision on the potential for somebody to pay their debts yeah which is an actually unknown. on that i do have one more point yeah go for and it. that is the potential for an investment to not only lose you money but cost you cash flow. Mm-hmm. If you have a rental property and there's a large fire and you're underinsured and all of a sudden you're straddled with that mortgage, not only have you lost the return you were getting, you also now have to shell out cash. Right. So there's an extra level of risk there in that it can end up. It's not just an investment where you can lose what you've invested. You can also lose more than you've invested. That's you always get, fun. Right? You get straddled with that property and you got to make mortgage payments you weren't planning on. It's not just the 50 grand you put up to buy the property. It's the 50 grand you put up to buy the property plus having to cover those mortgage payments. Well, can't I just walk away? Well, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> technically. That, that, that's how you start uh, real Housing estate bubble. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, maybe the part two of the show should be about risk. It's almost like a natural lead-in to part of what we need to talk about in making investment analysis is dissecting the risk of an investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Risk is a major factor. The the second, the follow-up to what you just said is from the private mortgage lending side of it is I need to have enough contingency funds available to cover a default for as long as it takes to sort it all out. Yes. Well, right. and that's exactly so that's, what I was thinking. That's about, opportunity right? cost in me having to have funds available, whether I have to borrow them and carry the cost of that to fulfill the obligations and and so bring it, that, get everybody out whole, right? Yeah, exactly. So that leads us down the the risk discussion of of what what and how much risk are you willing to take, and what kind of loss potential and, is there? 
and making sure that you're assessing risk reasonably so that you are being compensated appropriately for the level of risk you're at. So that's tomorrow's episode? Might be. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure something out. Tomorrow's a sponsored episode. Yeah. We got our first sponsor. No, it's boys. not a sponsored episode, but we do have somebody bought us around. It's not? No. Oh. Let's redo that. Maybe though. it will be. <laughs> Who knows? Tomorrow's another exciting day, though. It's always good to have the economist show up in the garage because he's the man of mystery. And <laughs> you don't know if we're sponsored or we got free beer. It's one of the two. <laughs> it's a win either way. It is. I'll and, take it. And for that, we do thank you, our listeners, for yeah. uh, sharing beer with us and sponsorship and joining us on our uh, journey full of fun on the FI Garage. Did we win tonight? We won. We with didn't this lose. Beer. Yeah, this beer was a yeah. Win. This yeah. yeah, shout out to uh, Boreal and Norbert again and IPA du Nordist. Yeah, Norbert, where, I'm where definitely you taking your beer suggestions. Uh, next time you're in Quebec City, okay. you can pick this up. Yeah. I don't think I'm allowed to travel to Quebec City right None now. None of us are allowed, but I've heard it is an absolutely lovely city. I've heard city. it is very nice. Yeah. I've heard it's yeah. lovely. So one Never day Never been. One day we will go. Mm-hmm. The, I cannot wait. We are going to get a motorhome and do the FI Garage road trip across Canada. Well, I have the camper. This is perfect. Done. I've seen your nice. camper. I want a bigger one. <laughs> yeah, it's for three of us? Yeah. And the FI Garage we'll dogs? We'll just stick the Economist on the roof. It's fine. <laughs> Tent on the roof. Yeah. I like it. Right on. Well, thanks again for listening to the FI Garage. You can find us on all the usual social media channels. And we do love to hear your comments because... They usually give us an idea for a show, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> reach out and send us a question. Oh, we did have a comment on the latest episode that I need to uh, stick up on the website. Uh, a listener was talking about uh, Norbert's Gambit and how he, he does it through- Is this the same Norbert? T- no, that's that guy, man, that guy's famous in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just saying how he does it through TD and, and it works really well for him. Until next time. Cheers, boys. Cheers. Cheers.